I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the Power Platform Show. Thanks for joining me today. I hope today's guest inspires and educates you on the possibilities of the Microsoft Power Platform. Now, let's get on with the show. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on scaling with the Power Platform. Today's guest is from Colorado in the US. He works at Banner Health as a consultant. He has developed CRM solutions, restaurant management apps, and equipment management solutions for outside business using the Power Platform. You can find links to his bio, socials, etc. in the show notes for this episode. Welcome to the show, Seth. Thanks, Mark. Happy to join and talk a little bit more about what we're doing as Power Platform. Awesome. I'm looking forward to this. always love to hear stories from people that are doing this all the time, right? As an, and particularly in the organizations, because I, I come across a lot of consultants that work for partners, Microsoft partners and things like that. And of course, they have a different lens on these type of projects as opposed to someone like yourself that lives and breathes it as part of the organization. You understand the culture of your company, that type of thing. So before we get into really unpacking that at Banner Health, tell us a bit about you. Um, my guests always like to know like a bit of the personal side of, of, of who comes on the show and so what i'm talking about here is you know you're you live in colorado which is you know uh an outdoors paradise to my understanding <laughs> um so what do you do for you know tell me about food family and fun what do you do when you're not working yeah absolutely well i uh been married for 13 years. We have one daughter. She's uh, going into seventh grade next year. Uh, a couple dogs, a couple cats. We live on a farm out here in Colorado. So that keeps us pretty busy uh, doing stuff around the farm when I'm not working on Power Platform. Um, food, my favorite's Mexican food. I like good spicy Mexican food, and we get a lot of that around here. We're pretty lucky with that. Um, as far as fun, I really enjoy traveling with family. Um, you know, we, we do get up, go to the mountains here in Colorado and, and enjoy the mountains. We're not skiers or snowboarders like you might expect. Uh, I think uh, you're native from Colorado. It's either something you grew up doing or you just don't do it. And I didn't grow up doing it. So we don't do that very often. But I do love traveling uh, around the world with family. I love it. I love it. One thing that pricked my interest then was your farm. And I have a a small acreage myself, and uh, always working on it. What wh are you into? Gardening? Are you into animals? What's what's the story on your farm? Yeah, it's mostly crops. Uh, we have a lot of corn and hay, sometimes beans, uh, more animals. Um, but it, it's a farm that's been in the family. Actually, it was my wife's family farm. Her great great grandfather um, moved out here and, and started it, and so it's been in the family since then. Yeah, so and, and I grew up on a farm not too far away, and we had kind of the same story. We've both been farming in the area, our families, for around 100 years. So uh, something we grew up with and definitely enjoy. Very nice, very nice. Tell us about Banner Health, first of all. Who's Banner Health? Uh, you know, being that the listenership of the show is all over the world, there are people that won't know who or what Banner Health does. So can you give us a bit of an overview? Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. So Bayer is a pretty large health court organization in the Western U.S. Um, we have about 30 hospitals across six different states. And of course, we run a ton of clinics and providers offices and, and things like that as well. So uh, pretty large, uh, well over 50,000 employees. Um, and we take care of a ton of patients. Wow. Wow. I didn't realize 50 hospitals. And you come from a country like mine in New Zealand, 30, well, that's, that's even, right, that's more hospitals than we have in our entire country. Um, <laughs> ab ab absolutely amazing from a, a sizing perspective. Tell us about what you do at Banner Health. Yeah, well, I'll give you a little background. I started with Banner as a nurse, um, and I did uh, nursing at the bedside for several years. Uh, from there, I went into supporting our electronic health record system. Uh, so I was, you know, helping physicians and nurses and physical therapists and all our clinicians uh, at the elbow if they make the most efficient use of our electronic health record system. Um, and, and during that time, one of our physicians came to me and asked if there was something we could do with our electronic health record system to send out alerts to physicians faster based off of certain uh, patient clinical conditions. And we couldn't find a way to do it natively inside of our EHR. So we ended up I was like, well, I've heard of this tool called Power Automate. I don't know if it'll be if it'll do what we want it to, but let's give it a shot and see what we can make happen. Um, so we, I played around with Power Automate and, and was able to make it work and, and function pretty quickly. And we were able to deliver these alerts to physicians' pagers within seconds after um, certain conditions were met in our health record system. And it kind of just exploded from there. So I, I started doing um, more and more Power Platform builds, and that eventually caught the attention of our intelligent automation team and led me to the position I'm in today. Wow. And so, so, so what is that position? Yeah. So my title is a senior IT consultant, but really I'm leading up the Power Platform COE for Banner. Wow. Is, tell, tell me, first of all, a bit about your operating model for that, right? There's, because you can have a distributed, you can have a matrix model, you can have a DevOps model. What's, what, what is that for you? How do you run it? Yeah, it's somewhere around distributed matrix, right? So we have, um, as a COE, we will build solutions for Banner as an enterprise. Um, we'll also build solutions for individual teams. If you know if they're significantly complex, something that a citizen developer wouldn't be able to put together themselves, um, or require special permissions or that type of thing, then we will build some uh, some solutions as the COE. But we really like to focus on our training. So uh, we really like to bring in groups of people, whether they're from HR or finance or whatever department across the organization, and put them through our training so that they can go out and build their own solutions. Okay. Okay. So this, this is interesting. So, you know, Microsoft uses term citizen developer and it's, it's quite common, um, mm -hmm. which is people that sit, of course, outside of IT, they have their normal job role function. You mentioned HR and they know how to do their job. Right. And Absolutely. they don't necessarily know what technology is out there that could assist them to digitize their job and, and therefore, you know, get the benefits, automation, real-time alerting, like you talked about before, what what's the evangelism program that you have in place one for having a department come to you do you proactively go out to those departments and say hey look these other departments are doing this is this something you're interested in how do you get or garner that initial contact with a new department that wants to do something digital yeah so we don't have a ton of outreach that we do. We've been so busy, people coming to us just word of mouth saying, oh, I heard about wow. this other department that has you know XYZ app that they've got, and I want to learn more about this power platform. Teams are constantly coming to us. So <laughs> we're in a lucky situation that we haven't had to do a lot of outreach from that standpoint. 
we have uh, made use of some of the COE toolkit. And if you know if a citizen developer goes out there and makes something on their own, it, they will get an email asking if they want to join our Power Platform user group. Gotcha. Um, so that's kind of about the only outreach that we've really had to do. We have plans to do more outreach, but right now we're so busy with projects that we just <laughs> haven't had a chance to go after those. Wow. So that I mean that amazing, right? That's a that's the perfect scenario that that most organizations want that appetite for for using it and for growth. Tell me about what's the onboarding experience for somebody that gets that email from you and 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 talk, talk give me a bit of detail like are you letting them build in the default environment? What's your yeah. how do you make sure you know they're staying within your digital guardrails. What's your kind of guidance? How do you train them? What, what's your thoughts there? Yeah. So governance is something that I think we're a, a little bit behind the eight ball on, as probably a lot of organizations are, is that, uh, you know, citizen makers hear about this power platform and they go nuts building in the default environment, right? So we're, tr- we're trying to get a hold on that. We've we've implemented a pretty restrictive DLP policy on the on the default environment. And at this point, we're just encouraging people that, you know, if, if you're wanting to just learn about power platform, try it out, or maybe build an automation that's, you know, it's just something for your personal use, you know, getting a text when your boss sends you an email or, or something like that have fun go for it in the default environment if you're going to be doing something that's going to be affecting your team at a, at a larger scale and and be impacting your team's work or maybe even work beyond your team then we really need to put you through our formalized training get you set up with your own development and production environments and teach you how to use those and and make sure that you're having your the documentation in place so that if you win the lottery next month and you leave the organization your solution <laughs> will still be something that we can support I like it. I like it. Tell me about that training that you put them through. How long is it? Is it uh, an hour? Yeah. Or is it uh, five weeks? Is it, you know, what? how, how long does it take? Yeah, our training program is something I'm pretty proud of, and it's worked really well so far. Uh, we've put about a dozen teams through that training, and it's kind of evolved, you know, of course, from the first team to the most recent team. It, it's changed a little bit. We, we kind of have two sets of training, really. We have um, if, if it's something where you don't have a specific use case in mind, and you kind of just want to learn more about Power Platform and what you can do and how, how, you, how you build it and get you comfortable with it. We'll meet with somebody just one-on-one for an hour or two, kind of walk them through the basics, you know, get them started. But once they want to take that next step and really start to make some uh, some more powerful solutions, we put them through our, our formalized training. And that's usually for a team. So I mentioned we might have HR. Yeah. So what we like to do is grab at least uh, three or four up to five or six people from a team. And that team is going to become the, the power platform makers for HR. And we'll gotcha. put them through our training. Usually they have a use case that they come to us with. And so we'll we'll start out. We'll take a couple sessions, just going over basics, teaching them uh, a little bit about what all the different tools and Power Platform are and what's available to them. And then we'll dive into building their use case. And I give them hands-on training. I make you know I make them drive and I walk them through how to build stuff in Power Platform. And then we'll take breaks in between our sessions. So we, we usually do a two-hour, three-hour, two or three-hour sessions, and then we'll you know break for a few days and come back to it. And in between those, I encourage them go out, keep building, keep trying to do stuff. And at our next session, you know, we'll come take care of any issues you came across or help you out with anything um, that you aren't able to figure out. 
And usually we'll go as long as it takes to make that solution. So that usually ends up being around four or five weeks. Um, and it's, but it's not full days. It's not full time for four or five weeks. It's, it's right. It's a, it's a couple sessions a week for four or five weeks. Um, and then at the end of that, they have not only do they have the skills they need to go out and make additional power platform solutions for whatever it is their team needs, but they have a solution that's there and ready for them to use. And that's been really key for us because our, all of our teams are very busy. Um, so if you come to somebody like, hey, you got this tool, but you're going to have to take uh, 40 hours away from your primary job to, to learn how to use it, uh, that's yeah. a pretty big barrier for a lot of our people to, to overcome. Of course. Um, so the fact that we're able to say, hey, give me your time. We're going to teach you how to use this, but you're also going to have something at the end of the at the end of the course that's going to make your team much more efficient. That's something that people have been really receptive to. Is there? How do you handle um, things like? There's probably three things jump to mind straight away. One is HIPAA compliance, right? So mm-hmm. you've got your, your your healthcare standards compliance. How do you yep. handle that when you've got people that are just starting to build apps and they're probably not gurus on what the standards are around yeah. compliance, uh, as in specifically in healthcare in, the, in this scenario? And then the other thing, how do you address things like um, component reuse? How do you address things like the app should look like it's owned by Banner Health? In other words, it should be on brand. Um, mm-hmm. And how do you address things like um, you know, which a new app developer is not going to think of things necessarily straight out of the gate, like usability, like um, how does it uh, work for people that are vision impaired or any of those other scenarios, right? How do you, how do you, is that part of the training program you put in place? How do you handle those kind of use cases? Yeah. Um, it's a, as far as uh, handling private information, it's a mix of where, what you're doing with the data and our DLP policy. Um, so, so we cover, you know, don't be tweeting out, <laughs> uh, don't be tweeting out private health information or something like that, right? So, so we do go over that, but we also have DLP policies in place that prevent people from doing something like that and and leaking yep. data outside of the organization. Um, theming and and um, usability for accessibility is something definitely an area for us to grow. So, we don't hold our developers to any specific design standard. Um, and that's mostly because these apps are usually built for their individual teams. It might be 15, 20 people, something like that. It's not something that's going to be used organization-wide. Now, as the COE, when we're building something that is going to be used organization-wide, we do follow the um, the style book that's been created by our organization and, and make sure that we're following the guidelines there. But we don't have a company-wide theme that we say, you know, every app has to adhere to the, to this design standard. So that's something we might want to do in the future. Uh, it comes back to time and, and having the resources to be able to put that together. And then from accessibility, same type of thing. We uh, haven't, haven't uh, required our developers to make sure that their apps are accessible from you know, whatever standard you, you want to set up. How do you handle things like support of the app? You talked about somebody winning the lotto, and that's a, a very polite way of what I often call the bus effect, someone getting hit by a bus. And I, I prefer your way. I think I'll use that from now on. So, you know, they're no longer in the organization. How do you make sure that you don't get an orphaned project that has become mission critical, but nobody knows how to f- fix, change, iterate on what's there um what's your what's your standards your processes around that yeah so we have some documentation guidelines that are um that are put in place and that is something we make our teams adhere to 
So that's one reason, like I mentioned, let's take our, our use case of our HR team that's gone through our training. There's uh, four or five people there that are developing apps and, and automations for our HR department. Um, they are required to have this documentation in place for every solution that they deploy out to production. Gotcha. If all of them bought a lotto ticket together and they all leave Banner at the same time, at the very least, we have that we have that documentation in place. Uh, along with that, we do require them to um, do some source control and we'll keep you know the zip files of their solutions uh, backed up so that we have those as well. Nice. Um, but just having requiring, you know, when like I had mentioned when we put these teams through their training, we do require them to have at least three people. Um, and that's part of the plan, right? Is the idea that Probably not all three of them are going to leave the organization at the same time, uh, and so that that t- that HR team can continue to support. You know, even if one person leaves, the two other people are there and continue to support the solutions that that team have built. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. That that uh, that makes sense. How about what? Where's the line between? IT uh, support, right? So formal in every organization, you have your internal help desk number that you can call because my, mm-hmm. my email's not working today or I've been logged out, I've got to reset my password. Where does that line stop or start for you when it comes to an app's been built and it needs to be, it needs to be supported? Let's say it's, it could be not one of your, your maker's apps. It could be the one that comes mm-hmm. out of the COE. How, mm-hmm. What's the line? Where's the support stop, start? How do you handle it? It really depends what the issue is. So they can place an incident with our service desk, um, and we have an operations team, which we're just starting to get our operations team onboarded with Power Platform. Um, so if they place a ticket, you know, our operations team will be able to go out and look up and say, oh, this is this Power Platform solution. Here's the documentation for this. If they can find whatever the solution is to the issue that's been presented to them, they'll be able to fix it there on the spot. If not, they then reach out to us um, as the COE development team, and we can go in and look at the issue and and work directly with the end user to solve whatever's going on. Nice. What about um, training on the app? Right. You know, are you creating a bunch of, you know, self-paced videos that people like, and I'm talking about specific to an app that's been built. So, um, are you creating a little, uh, an app archive library of training that you once again, get that team to do? How how do you handle that? Or do you have a formal process around it? Yeah, it's not really a formal process. Usually it's going to be, if it's our, um, our citizen teams that are building apps, they're going to handle training with their team, right? So the HR team is going to go out and work with their, with their staff and to show them how it is to use, how to use the app that they've built. Um, if it's a, if it's an app that's been built by the COE, um, we have a few apps that have been deployed organization wide and those apps, we put a, put out a little paper, you know, one page guide on how to use the app. They're very simple. Nice. apps. It's nothing too complex. So we haven't had to do much on training from that standpoint for the apps that we have built that are more complex. We do work with that team one-on-one. We usually hold training calls and go over the app with them. And then we give them, um, you know, we, we put what a uh, hypercare period out there after we deploy a solution. Nice. So for several weeks after we deploy a solution, it's in hypercare. We're like, to find some bugs that we didn't come across in our testing. And so we'll fix those bugs. But there's also just a lot of working with users on how do I do this again? And, and we can show them at that time. What's the, what's the most complex app that you've built? And, and why do you uh, say it's complex? Like, uh, I know it's subjective, <laughs> but up, up to you about, you know, yeah. how you answer that. 
Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I'd have to say we did build uh, a solution uh, as a COE for our HR team that handles it. whenever we get a new employee that comes in, it looks at that the information for that employee, what location they're going to be working at, what position they're going to be working in, uh, a lot of those factors, and it determines what groups across the organization need to be aware that this employee is is coming on board. Um, so a, a lot of us are clinical education folks. You know, they might be hired for a clinical position. And so we'll see which clinical education team needs to be aware that this employee is going to be starting. Um, but it goes beyond that. Some of our IT teams to provision the access that they're going to need. Um, and a few other groups, our occupational health groups, and a few other groups across the organization. So there's a lot of factors there that go into determining who needs to know that this employee is going to start. Um, so a lot of working that logic out. and But it expanded beyond that um, to sort of be a tracker for occupational health teams and for our clinical education teams um, to be able to track this is what this employee is scheduled for this is where they're at in their onboarding process all that type of thing and, and i think to date we've put nearly i haven't looked recently but i think we're pretty close to twenty thousand employees that have gone through that solution wow wow impressive how do you how do you decide when 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 a cus one of your customers so one of the 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 divisions inside your organization comes to you and says and i've seen these these apps that have been built i want an app built for me and mm-hmm. how do you one uh do the cost justification for it do you is that something sure. within that team that you know how do you rationalize if we spend a dollar here on your solution, um, you know, it's going to have X benefit to the organization, where if we spent the dollar over here, it's going to have Y benefit to the organization. And because our backlog is so deep, how do you prioritize that? What's what's your yeah. method model around that? Yeah. Um, first off, we encourage a lot of our, our makers that come to us to go through the training and learn to build it themselves if we think it's a reasonable a reasonable thing that they could build, right? So that uh, and and part of the reason we do that is because a lot of these solutions are of the type where we don't need additional licensing, we don't need a premium license, that type of stuff. So it's not a lot of additional cost, it's just time, time to learn how to use the solution, time to develop it, and that type of thing. If they're gonna be out there building their own solutions then it's up to them to manage their time. You know, is it better for me to spend my day uh, building something power platform or working on process XYZ for my, for my team? That's up to them. If it's going to be a solution that's going to be developed by the COE, then we go through a more uh, formalized ROI process and we say, okay, here's yes. the return. Here's the time savings we could expect from the solution. Um, you know, if there is a, if there's a dollar component involved in that, We'll look at that, whether that's uh, additional cost from a licensing perspective or maybe cost savings because yep. we don't need this other solution that we, or this other uh, uh, option that a vendor has been providing for us. Um, so we'll look at the, that the dollar savings and the dollar cost there. Um, and then we also look at additional factors. So it's, if it's something that our, we need to meet, meet a regulatory standard or something like that, that also comes yep. into the yep. ROI. Um, but it, it is pretty subjective. We'll look at each solution individually and say, yeah, this is something that we need to that we need to do. Or uh, this one probably doesn't quite meet uh, at the moment, meet our ROI standards, and we should spend our time on on another solution that we have in our backlog. Yeah. Do you have a backlog? We do. Yeah. <laughs> is it is it is it is it quite large? Um I'll put it. It's probably several months worth of work. I'll put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. have the numbers on how many projects we have uh, sitting there, but it, it's no, no, no. Enough. And, and <laughs> I just want to want want to get that feel. Is it something that you're turning out an app 
like if you were to look at the the average of mean, what what are you producing at um, of those more complex? Are you talking one a month? Are you talking about mm-hmm. one a fortnight? Well, you know, or so, what's the the t- the longest timeline? I suppose that you've built a solution b- b- and rolled it out to folks. Yeah, the one that I'm working on right now that is actually just rolling out, and it's been about a year mm-hmm. since we started developing that. Now wow. it's got a lot of other uh, pieces to it, and a lot of reasons that it's taken uh, taken a year to put that together. Typically, our average deployment cycle runs uh, about two a month, um, okay. and that's for usually somewhat more complex solutions, but um, you know some of them that aren't as complex as well. Interesting. When you when you consider the architecture, the underlying architecture of an app, when I'm talking about the COE side of the sorry, I'm talking about your dev team, right, that are building sure. for the organization. Mm-hmm. When you look at things like connectors, data sources, are you going to use dataverse as opposed to something else? Because you talked about the non-premium licensing, which I assume therefore mm-hmm. you're going to use a non-premium data source like a yeah. um SharePoint or something like that. Yeah. Um how do you you know You've you've done the ROI. You've obviously factored in things like okay, I need some premium licensing. I'm probably going to need dataverse. I'm going to need X amount of storage. Um, I'm going to need these connectors. Um, how do you make those decisions around that underlying stuff that happens before you get to that presentation layer of the app? Uh, I'm not quite sure. You mean how do we determine what we're going to need to build the yeah, solutions? So, so, so it's what I would call a technical assessment or of of the sure. project, right? What 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 are they going to be the technical elements? Like once again, if you're looking at a citizen developer, they're not going to necessarily know that based on what you're trying to do, it's got a lot of relationships, etc. You're going to need dataverse to do this, right? Then they might sure. not be that yeah. experienced, and so you're going to have a technical person, maybe someone like yourself, that goes, you know what? If I was looking at the underlying components, it's going to need this, 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 and this, and that's what's going to feed our decision making about how what type a solution we're going to deploy you know is it going to be model driven or just canvas um if you go canvas then you've got the whole ui piece that you've got to control and and decide um they're different decisions but it affects ultimately what gets built right right yeah so usually we'll meet with the team uh, and go over we'll spend an hour sometimes two hours and going over exactly what it is that they want built um you know and depending on the team sometimes they're really good about laying all the requirements out for us and sometimes we've got to dig a little bit to to get to those requirements but you're right uh, the first thing we usually look at is what kind of data source are we going to have to use for this app um mm-hmm. and, and depending on you know what type of security do you need around the app what's what type of data are you going to be storing um in that data source uh in your automation what services are you going to need to be connecting to? Um, are we going to need to be connecting to uh, any of the premium connectors that are out there or creating the custom connector? So we just look at that on a case-by-case basis and, and dig into the requirements of what it is that they need. And then we'll propose uh, we'll propose a solution from there. And sometimes we'll go back and meet with the team and say, look, this is based off of your requirements. This is what it looks like we're going to need. And they might say, well, let's let's uh let's nix let's nix this requirement from the solution and we say okay well we can yeah. if we're taking that requirement out of it then we can eliminate this complication and get the app to you a little bit quicker nice nice in hindsight if you're going to look at what you've done over the last you know couple of years and stuff and built would you would you start or take a different direction or change anything about what you've done and part of this question is for those listening what recommendations would you have for folks if they're just at the start of this journey. Yeah. 
I think one of the first things to do is to get the COE toolkit installed because it gives you a really good perspective of what's going on across the organization. And if you don't have that, um, it's hard to put it's hard to put numbers behind what's going on and get buy-in from your executive team. Um, so you know, when I first got started with Power Platform, it's like I think this is in pretty wide use across the organization, but I don't have I don't know I don't have any way of of seeing how many people are using it or anything like that. So we're able to get the COE toolkit installed, and we can see, oh wow, you know, this is, there's um, hundreds and hundreds of makers using Power Platform, and, and gives us some numbers on uh, how it's being used across the organization. And those numbers allow us to get buy-in from our executive team, and that would be first step um, that I would encourage anybody to take is get that buy-in because if you don't have that buy-in from the beginning, it's, it's harder and harder to overcome the governance debt that you're that you're going to incur uh you know at a lot of organizations they haven't locked down power platform they don't have governance in place and so it's kind of out there in the wild and people are doing who knows what with it uh and overcoming that once you realize what's being done with power platform overcoming the years of of stuff that people have been creating can be quite a challenge and, and take up a lot of resources yeah amazing um before i let you go is there anything you want to add no, nothing comes to mind. Um, you know, I, I just say I love the community around Power Platform. You know, like I mentioned, I started as a nurse, um, and I had I, always been computer savvy and tech savvy, and enjoyed working working with tech. But I don't have any formalized training. You know, I, I've done a little bit of HTML, but I don't know any other coding languages. Um, and I've been able to learn Power Platform from just from the community and from YouTube videos and searching forums and that type of stuff. And it, it's been really incredible. Um, a lot of growth has taken place over the past five or six years since I started, I uh, first used Power Automate. Um, and that's all thanks to the community. Awesome. Seth, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show to share your story. Uh, thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, business application MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 guy. If there's a guest you'd like to see on the show, please message me on LinkedIn. If you want to be a supporter of the show, please check out buymeacoffee.com forward slash NZ365guy. Stay safe out there and shoot for the stars.